Hello, you're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Mark Morehouse, Managing Director of P3 Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. And our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking. This episode was recorded on April 5, 2022. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our episode called P3, an innovative solution to our infrastructure needs. I'm your host, Jane Ross, and we're talking here with Mark Morehouse of Oppenheimer. Now, our regular listeners of the Let's Talk Future podcast know that we like to highlight creative market strategies to help solve old thorny problems. We've discussed electric vehicles, the cloud, biotech breakthroughs, the circular economy, and loads of other topics that highlight successful economic disruptors of old inefficient models. So here we are with this episode. We're talking about our creaky US infrastructure and public-private partnerships. Infrastructure is clearly a concern for a great majority of Americans. Estimates run as high as $2.2 trillion of needs over the next five years. Government clearly cannot tackle this alone. Enter P3 to help close the gap. So to explain what P3 is, how these transactions work, and how investors can participate, we have Mark Morehouse, the Managing Director at Oppenheimer, who's responsible for P3 advisory and capital raises in the transportation, social infrastructure, and water subsectors in the U.S. and globally. It's a lot of crucial stuff to which he brings over 20 years of experience. So with all of that, welcome, Mark. Thanks, Jane. It's great to be here. And I'm really excited to be here uh, talking to you about public-private partnerships. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into it with kind of a simple question. What is P3? Very simply, P3 is an alternative method to deliver public infrastructure. It involves a private investor who will design, build, finance, operate, and maintain a public infrastructure project under a long-term project, typically 30 years or more, with the public sector entity. The project can be greenfield, that is, new construction, or it can be brownfield, monetization of an existing asset. The contract can shift revenue risk to the private operator. For instance, they would set and collect the tolls, or the public sector can keep control of the revenue and make periodic payments. Importantly, the public sector always owns the infrastructure asset and will get it back at the end of the contract under predefined terms. Now, it's interesting that we title this innovative because it really is innovative in the United States, but it's well known and well used around the world. The US, interestingly, is way behind the rest of the world in this area. I saw a stat the other day that I thought was really interesting that 75% of airline passengers in Europe pass through a privately owned or operated airport facility. In Latin America, it's 60%. 
In Asia, it's 45%. In the US and in Canada, it's less than 1%. Now that's just one example, but it's really indicative of how far behind we are behind the rest of the world. Yeah, that's surprising actually. So you mentioned transportation. What, what are the industries where this is relevant? So transportation is a big one and that it really covers the spectrum. Roads, bridges, tunnels, parking, airports, seaports, transit, all sorts of transportation projects. Also water is important, both water supply and wastewater treatment. Social infrastructure, which is an interesting concept, which is basically vertical infrastructure of public assets that don't generate revenue. So think about city halls or courthouses or police stations, those sorts of projects. Can also get into broadband and and some other areas, but that's really not where I focus. And I mean, all of the things that you just mentioned, clearly there's a huge amount of need in the U.S., but what comes to my mind is a public entity has a different constituency than a private entity. So why would, or I guess why should, a public entity consider doing this? You're right. There's obviously a need for infrastructure investment in the U.S., and properly structured, a P3 can provide a great solution and an efficient way for the public sector to deliver it. There's really four broad reasons to think about it if you are a public sector entity. The first is availability of capital. So there's a lot of money in infrastructure funds right now that brings with it the discipline of equity investment that really uh, helps enhance the long-term viability of the projects uh, over the life of the asset. The second thought is risk transfer and the ability of the public entity to transfer risk to the private sector that they're better able to manage than the public sector in a way that is not available to them if they're just doing it uh, sort of the regular way delivery by the municipal bond market. There's a concept called value for money that helps to measure the value of that risk transfer, which basically says, if you were holding on to this risk, there's value to it to the public entity that they're able to shift to the private entity. And therefore, you might be able to overcome some of the larger financing or capital costs of the project. The third component, and this is somewhat related, is life cycle costing. So the private party will be responsible for maintaining the asset over the life of the project under specific uh, operating and, and maintenance constraints. One of the banes of public infrastructure, and I think we saw this and it isn't fully determined yet, but we saw it probably in the Pennsylvania bridge collapse recently outside of Pittsburgh, that the asset obviously had wear and tear on it, but money wasn't being spent on it. And so deferred maintenance is something that the public sector does to sort of kick the can down the road. Under P3, because the contract specifies the conditions under which you must maintain and operate the bridge, the private sector will not kick those kick that can down the road. They will make those investments as needed to keep the, the asset in top condition, or they're, they're at risk of their investment. And that's, that's not a risk that, that the private sector likes to take. The final point is really is global expertise. So as I mentioned, the investors in this space are operating assets around the world, airports, ports, roads, transit, and they have developed over time these best practices that they'll bring to bear If you are a public sector entity and you run one road or one parking system or one airport, 
you really don't have access to that sort of expertise. And so bringing together the public-private partnership will allow you to access that, that expertise along with the capital, along with the risk transfer, along with the ongoing maintenance and life cycle approach to the asset. So do you have a quick example of where this has worked just to give us a sense of a success story? My favorite example is the San Juan Airport in Puerto Rico, which is currently the only airport fully operational under the Airport Investment Partnership Program run by the FAA. It really turned out to be a win for all parties, which is amazing, and it's really what you should be striving for if you're doing P3. Specifically, the airlines who had a say in the deal are extremely happy. Puerto Rico is happy. It got $600 million up front and over a billion dollars over the life of the concession in a commonwealth that's definitely financially strapped. So they were happy. The traveling public is happy because the private operator has improved the passenger experience. They have rebuilt the terminal concourses. They have added much better food and beverage and uh, retail concessions. So the overall experience is great. The investors are happy. They're doing well with their investment. So really, it's a win-win-win to whatever the nth power, and that should really be the goal. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about the happiness of the different constituencies, here at Oppenheimer, we have a big practice in sustainability and best practices and ESG. And when I think about people going through an airport and all, the public is now aware of those issues. Are there there ways of, of structuring those kinds of considerations into transactions? ESG is definitely becoming a focus of the infrastructure world. And it's important for the public sector to include ESG components in its procurements. There's really an opportunity for the private sector to help build stakeholder support, community support, and so on by either proactively or being required to contain an ESG component in their project. A great example of that is the JFK New Terminal 1, which is has been announced by the state of New York and is moving forward to financial close probably sometime this year. They have a very strong ESG program that includes local employment, both construction and long-term operations from the Queens, New York community. That employment focus also has a specific look at disadvantaged businesses, DBEs, so they will be hiring strongly from the DBE community. And they've also launched a K-12 through aviation-based STEM education program at some of the local schools. So they're really reaching out to the community even before the project is fully underway. This all sounds great. The capital is there. The need's there. We can structure these things in an innovative way. Why hasn't this taken off? You know, I think the simple answer is the public sector just moves really slowly. They're very slow to change. And this is, this is a new and different way of procuring. The history in the U.S. is that the municipal bond market has provided low-cost capital and readily available capital for the public sector to do their projects. This circles back sort of to the life cycle concept that we, we talked about earlier. You can build the project, but you don't get the funding from the bonds necessarily to maintain the project over time. So really, it's political inertia, it's complexity, and I think it's lack of understanding of the the P3 concept. And so it's great that we're getting the message out here about P3. I think the more that we can educate 
the public sector, particularly the political leaders, to the value of P3 and to show them that, that this is something that can actually be a political plus for them rather than a minus, that's the way to get to success and get to momentum. And really, the more success that we can show by actually getting projects done, the more projects there will be. So success breeds success. That's the hope. All right. Well, you brought up politics. So speaking of political leaders, we just got the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed. And so some of our listeners might be thinking, hey, that bill just got passed. We're all good. Everything's taken care of. Is that true? Well, no, it's not. That would be nice, but it's, it's certainly not the case. Look, the, the IIJA represents an opportunity to really catalyze investment in the infrastructure in the country. Obviously, there's, there's a billion plus dollars for infrastructure, or sorry, a trillion plus dollars for infrastructure, but there's also a multi-trillion dollar need, as you noted before. The real way to make this work is to properly coordinate P3 activity with the funds that are available under the IIJA to really multiply and leverage those funds and deliver more than the trillion dollars that is, is legislated. Like I said, so I think a specific example is the concept of private activity bonds, which are municipal bonds that are limited in their issuance by the federal government. If you were to increase the PABS availability, which the IIJA does, then there is now low-cost debt available for, for investors to access. But if they put up equity, that's call it 50% of the capital structure, then you're getting twice the investment that you would get if you were just putting up that same dollar amount of grants, for instance. And is this money in the infrastructure bill, is this coming out quickly or are you seeing much movement on that side of things? Well, it, it has started to come out. As with all things bureaucratic, it takes a while from the announcement and the, and the signing of the legislation to actually implement the distribution of funds, but it is starting. And there was just an announcement by the DOT to draw attention to a number of grant programs that have substantial funding, but it's really grants. It's not necessarily something that might catalyze P3. So we're a bit in the situation where the devil is in the details and how those funds get dispersed and whether they are dispersed as grants, which is free money for the public sector or if they're issued as some sort of a supplement to private investment, that could certainly catalyze things. So we're still waiting to see. The jury is still out on that. What I can say is it is positive that there, there's actually reference to P3 in the law, which is, which is new. There is specific reference to the value for money concept that we discussed earlier in that that analysis needs to be done in order to move ahead with, with P3 type projects. And there's also the concept of asset recycling, which is sort of a new thing, which is if you monetize an existing asset and the public sector receives funds from the private sector for that long-term concession of that existing asset, they can take those funds and move it into the funding for another asset. So you monetize your airport and you build schools, for instance. So that concept is, is one that's been done elsewhere. Again, we're sort of trailing the rest of the world, but drawing attention to it, I think is certainly going to be a positive. Interesting. So our listeners by and large are investment people. And so the question I have is, how do investors participate 
in all this? Or do investors participate in all of this? It's really likely that a lot of investors are already in the infrastructure market. If you think about where infrastructure funds raise their money, and there, like I said, there are multiple billions of dollars waiting in infrastructure funds as we speak, those monies come from pension funds and from insurance companies. And if you think about it, the long-term yielding nature of an infrastructure concession contract 30 plus years allows the pension fund or the insurance company to match its long-term liabilities with a long-term asset. So it's very attractive for them. So on the equity side, again, it's possible that investors are already there. On the debt side, I think there's a real opportunity because with each new transaction, leverage is put on and that leverage comes out in some way or another to the market. That market can be private activity bonds, which we've already discussed. It could be private placements of corporate debt. It could be 144A bonds. All these issues have been done. And in addition to that, bank debt is also a component of, of the capital stack. I think it's important if you're thinking about the, the debt investment, these long-term contracts that define the public-private partnership always include lender step-in rights. So even if the debt is not necessarily in default, if the project has defaulted from the contract with the public sector, the lenders can step in and take over the asset. They can also obviously step in and take it over in bankruptcy. But there's a lot of protections there. There's a lot of opportunity for for this to be a really good debt investment in addition to the equity investment. That's good to know. And given my old experience as a high yield person, um, step-in rights are pretty valuable. So are there any examples of project that went sideways where that was relevant? Sure. There are a couple of really good examples. Probably the the biggest and and most important one of those is is the Indiana toll road. So in 2006, that toll road was concessioned by the state of Indiana for about $4 billion. And Indiana was able to invest those funds uh, into other infrastructure and rainy day funds, et cetera. The private partner in that project levered the project up and put some swaps on and, and somehow that went bad and they were, they were put into default. The project was resold to another private sector investor for $5.7 billion. So somebody made some money there in between the, the project going south and, uh, and now. And interestingly, and really in support of the whole P3 concept, nobody ever knew the difference. Nobody driving on the toll road knew the difference. From an operational standpoint, nothing changed. Everything was very smooth. The state of Indiana was really not involved uh, in, in the bankruptcy. Um, in ter- and was never in any sort of financial jeopardy as a result of it. So everything works smoothly from the operational side of things. Yeah, that's a crucial point because I think that's people are going to be nervous about private entities getting involved in the risk there. But the fact that the consumer didn't feel this at all and the drivers on the roads were that's that's a very good point. Well, let's let's uh, take us to what we like to do, which is let's talk future. And let's talk about how you see future upcoming opportunities that you're spending time on. Yes, there are really two big areas of focus. The first one being airports. So there's one airport that's been privatized by P3 under the Airport Investment Partnership Program. That's the San Juan Airport that we mentioned earlier. 
So far, none of the airports in the continental United States have been privatized. I believe that once one is done and done successfully and others can see the benefits of this program where you're able to take capital off the airport in a unique way that's not available otherwise, that there'll be a, an onslaught of these deals. So one needs to get done and the others will follow. That's really been a focus of, of my practice in terms of educating the public sector and trying to get people on board with that concept. So stay tuned for that. I think that's going to be an exciting part of public-private partnerships in the coming years. The second theme is university uh, power. So universities may generate their own electricity, but they almost always do their own chilled water and steam generation. And there's an opportunity for the private sector to come in and take away something that's really not a core component of a university. Universities are there for education, student life, et cetera. And power generation is really sort of ancillary to that. So if you brought in a private party to operate and be responsible for updating and transitioning from uh, hydrocarbon to, to solar and wind, et cetera, then that's a way of de-risking and ensuring that you get the best practices at the university level. That is a concept that is starting to happen. It has been done a couple of times around the country, and I believe there will be more of that in the future. Well, I like that, Mark. Look at that, bringing it back to sustainability and, and new areas of growth. So listen, this is a fascinating topic, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about this over the next couple of years I'm happy that we can be a part of the education of this by doing this today. Thank you so much for walking us through all of this and sharing your expertise. It's been a pleasure. Same here, Jane. It's, it's, it's exciting times in public-private partnership, and I'm looking forward to seeing things really start to happen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode. And remember to subscribe today. Join our community to expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.